0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Philosophy for Our Times is brought to you in partnership with the new College of the Humanities, a university-level college offering undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in the heart of London. NCH pride themselves on offering unprecedented access to a world-class academic faculty. Philosophy students at the college are taught by some of the foremost scholars in the field and one-to-one tutorials create a personalised teaching experience. Choose your major and minor for a unique combined honours degree and study the NCH Diploma to widen your appreciation of the world in ways you'd never thought of before. Go to nchlondon.ac.uk for more information. Think better. Think NCH. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast which brings you the world's leading thinkers to debate today's biggest ideas. In this podcast we bring you exclusive interviews with our top speakers from our debates. Our guest this week is John Barnes. Focusing on the digital democracy revolution happening right now, John is a thinker, consultant, speaker and author addressing the hierarchies in technology organisations, and our political structures.
1: Tech and democracy are currently seen as total enemies of one another and I think that just plays to our negativity bias.
0: He joined us this week to tell us more about the possibility technology can play in improving democracies around the world. To start with, John laid bare the negative side of technology, how technology manipulates our biases and how the business behind it keeps you hooked.
1: Firstly, technology and democracy on the, the bad side is totally understandable. So there's, the thing I'd say is, is where it comes from is, is like dark in the, you know, you, could, you can definitely make a film about what's going on right now. I'm sure there will be a film about Cambridge Analytica, for instance. The, the one example I have is that the way the big tech companies hire designers is a lot of the time through a place called Stanford's Persuasive Technology Lab, right? So they hire students who are experts in cognitive psychology, namely in the biases that we all have. And then they use technology to play on our biases, right? Uh, And then they do it in order to serve a business model, which is advertising. And the way they serve that business model is the more time you spend on the site, the more money they make because the more advertising they get. So, so the strategy to do that is to addict you. And so you have a shot of dopamine to the brain when you receive a notification, as an, as an example. And they can do that using really clear techniques. Um, one is to plan your variable rewards. So I don't know if you've seen it, you know when you swipe down on your email or your Twitter and there's that little loading circle. So that's bolo- borrowed from slot machines, the loading circle and it loads for a slightly different amount of time each time, which is called a, var- a variable reward. And that's the bit that like, gets you a little bit hooked on whether you get you... Have I got a new email? Like, that's almost a slot machine that you... A guy called Tristan Harris talks about it really well. So I'm totally um, sympathetic to the view that technology is destroying democracy. Um, and I-, I totally see that. But I guess i just love more conversation about the alternative, about if we asked ourselves how might we use technology to create a deeper form of democracy and have the conversation from there looking forward rather than like driving, looking into the rearview mirror.
0: Turning to what this means for democracy, John explained to us the link between technology and politics.
1: The bits we're conflating is that Your privacy is important to you. Like, that's a a fundamental human thing. Your information, your right to, to be informed, I believe is a fundamental thing. Your right for choice, for freedom of expression. These are all important things. Technology can harm or help them all.
0: With a focus in his work on the possibility that technology can hold for us, John turned to explain why it is that we often see technology in such a negative light.
1: But conversations about how it can help our privacy are like not ones that that emerge that much and I, I think it's literally just a bias towards i mean it's called um the availability heuristic is the idea that we summon the piece of information we've received most recently our version in everyday life of that is the front page and the front page is terrorism which is like you know terrorism's awful obviously but it is such a small part of the awfulness of the world. But we summon that knowledge so quickly because it's been on the front pages. And therefore there's like such a, a lack of, um, of solution-based conversation that, that we see, I think.
0: John's consultancy business sees him working with organisations to create alternatives to top-down hierarchies and structures traditionally found in companies as well as our political structures. He turned away from the negative bias on technology to give us some practical advice about how we can embrace technology to make a better world.
1: I think there are two really different ways. One is to dream long, um, and one is to see short experiments and prototypes in reality and how they're happening. Um, the dream long thing is important because I think what's happening at the moment is because there's no vision in politics at all. Like. I was inspired by the dream of a politician said like nobody, uh, nobody recently. Um, So there's a vacuum of of vision there. Um, There's also a vacuum of vision in other ways. A lot of places in the world are largely secularized now. So there's no religious vision for the future, or at least the vision of the future is is an indifferent life, which doesn't help me that much for this life. Um, And therefore, we're looking around for where is there an inspiring vision for the future, and the answer is Silicon Valley. Super inspiring, right? We're gonna we're gonna be able to understand each other's thoughts using neuro lacing or whatever in the future. Um, so we have this amazing vision coming up from these from this place that is, first of all, totally tech centric. Secondly, driven by capitalism. Um, And it's a vision for the future. I think it is is in some ways an interesting vision for the future. But we can't, because we have no political vision or religious vision or anything like that, we're outsourcing all of our like dreaming credits over to, to investors in Silicon Valley. So I think there's a need for alternative narratives to come and inspire us about what a different vision for the future might look like.
0: As well as both explaining and warning against always listening to our inbuilt negativity bias, John ended by sharing some positive stories of how technology is already improving democracy around the world in ways that simply weren't possible before.
1: So there's, there's some examples, like in Taiwan they've used AI to basically crowdsource how people feel about a specific subject and the AI is able to see where people are agreeing and disagreeing. And by the end, it's able to make a decision, basically involving thousands and thousands of people or, um, or using the blockchain in order to have direct democracy on a, on, a regular, on a regular level. So these are things that couldn't have happened before, but thanks to technology can happen. Um, and I just think like there's, there's more of a need for those kind of conversations and those ideas to, to enter the, the realm, I guess. So I think optimism is a misunderstood thing in this case. Optimism and idealism are totally different things. What optimism says is, is broadly two things. One is that positivity uh, is, is shown to create more change in the world than negativity. So like just simply as an example, um, you could have pictures of someone dying in Africa, or you could have pictures of kids going to school in Africa, and the second one will get more charitable donations than the first one. So so positivity in and of itself is is useful for creating change. The second one is that optimism is basically like the scientific method in a a kinder way of saying it, which is um, which is we can find the solution to this. Let's keep asking some questions and use reason and knowledge and creativity in order to come to a progressive future. That's what optimism means. Optimism doesn't mean like I'm flying around on a unicorn and everything's cool. It simply means that I'm looking for solutions to the problem and I believe that through human endeavour we will find those solutions. Um, and you can only do that if you're realistic. Otherwise like, so I guess moonshot mentality is useful for opening our minds, but like reason and knowledge are are just wicked tools to create a better world.
0: For the full debate on the future of democracy, tune in to next week's debate on leadership in the Age of Trump in which John will debate these questions alongside The Guardian's China correspondent and foreign leading writer Tanya Branigan, Labour MP Jess Phillips and Professor of History and Politics at the University of Oxford, Rana Mitter. This episode of Philosophy for Our Times was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. It was presented by me, Anna Carey, and our guest this week was John Barnes. Please do subscribe, give us a rating, tell anyone you know that might be interested in the podcast, and of course, tune in next week for more debates and interviews from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Autotrader too.